0: Hey everyone, this is Jeff Staple. As you might have heard from last week, we are on a short break after an amazing season one to gather up new content and new interviews for season two. So this week, we're going to replay a past episode. In fact, our first episode ever with Hiroshi Fujiwara of Fragment Design. If you've never heard it before, it's definitely an instant classic. And if you've heard it before, I encourage you to listen again because it actually gets better with age. One of the things I noticed after multiple listenings is the nuanced gaps in between my questions and Hiroshi's answers. You can tell his responses aren't canned. He's actually giving each question some considerable thought. And while that makes it a bit awkward for me as the interviewer, it does make some amazing content for you, the listener. Oh, and also, don't forget to tell a friend about the show. Subscribe. Tell others to subscribe. Leave a comment on iTunes, because the more feedback we get on iTunes, the more likely it gets featured. And the more it gets featured, the more financial support we can get. And the more financial support we can get, the more likely we can get better recording equipment so that I don't have to record this on my iPhone in my bathroom. No, really, I am. So please give a shout. And finally, we're getting ready to do a quasi Ask Me Anything episode where you, the listener, gets to ask anything you want about business, finance, hype beast, culture, anything really. So send questions via email to questions at businessofhype.com or you can send them to me via Twitter at Jeff Staple and make them tough ones because that always makes for better content. Okay, that's enough blabber. Let's get back to this week's episode with the one and only Hiroshi Fujiwara. Enjoy. So, thanks for doing this interview. The show is called Business of Hype. Okay. So, you know, oftentimes we talk about like how to inspire people to like follow their dreams. Mm -hmm. But this one, this show that I'm doing is more specific. It's more about like business stuff. Yeah. Not just follow your dreams, but the reality of doing it. So, in this talk, you can be much more kind of business minded. Right. All right. So, do you have your phone on Vibrate? Yeah. From Hypebeast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, hustlers, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. If you're a reader of Hypebeast, then this man really requires no introduction. Hiroshi Fujiwara and his company, Fragment Design, basically laid the foundation for street culture as we know it today. Back in 1998, I flew to Tokyo to meet and interview Hiroshi for The Vader magazine. I was an art director and a journalist for the magazine back then. At that time, it was the first piece of U.S. press ever written about him. And now today, I got him for what might be his first U.S. podcast interview. For all his contributions to the culture, you'll find Hiroshi's incredibly humble, incredibly funny, and succinct. I don't want to waste any more time, so let's get right into it. First thing, please introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm Hiroshi Fujiwara, and I do
0: The Fragment. I guess. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks for doing this interview. Um, I think many people, you know, especially on the hypebeast community, can Mm -hmm. can know what you do and know the works that you've put out. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about which sneaker and which collab you did. I want to break down the different operations that your company has done, Mm -hmm. and then you could kind of talk about each one. Right. Right. So because you've had your hand in many different things, like magazine. Retail, fashion, mm-hmm. collaboration—you mm-hmm. know—and um, then also Fragment as a company first. Yes. So maybe let's talk. Let's start there. Fragment is a company. Fragment is a company. Describe this company.
1: Uh, fragment is a company. I, I mean myself and Kojiro and Ku like three of us, mm-hmm. just the three of us. And our policy is we know we not making product in the fragment. Mm-hmm. We just do help people, or well, we just go by myself to work with, a uh, undercover mm-hmm. or Ruby or those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So we don't manufacture. We don't have a,
0: you know, area to do that yeah. kind of work. But I feel like many people know you as a brand that they want to buy. Like we want to buy fragment things. Yeah. Like, but you say you don't we, make
1: anything. We don't, we don't really make it. What Maybe sometimes like watch band or, you know, letter, just a small pieces mm-hmm. we can, we make mm-hmm. because no one
0: else does it for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you make it yourself. Yeah, but you but, try to partner with someone who can make it, mm-hmm. right?
1: Not really partner. I just go there and they make it. Uh-huh. I get
0: little percentages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And would you call it then like a consultancy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is, that, is consulting that
1: a consulting agency word? kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, mm-hmm. maybe not really, right? no,
0: maybe something else. I think maybe di- just a brand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the big difference between a consultancy and Fragment, I think, is that consultancy would work with anybody. Anybody who call, they'll help them. Yeah. But you're like...
1: A Fragment is more design,
0: kind of. Yeah. Not
1: really consultant, I think.
0: And I think because it comes from you, if you don't really love the product or the brand, Mm -hmm. you won't really just work with it, right? Right. Okay. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that Fragment is only... Three. Like, really founder, you, and two. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you really purposely want to keep it that small? Yes. Why don't you want to have a big company? Most people want to have a big corporation.
1: No, that's that's killing my freedom, I think. And also, I don't want to take a risk with really, mm-hmm. the you know hiring people uh-huh. and making company bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. I I had a company. I was it's still there, but like head head mm-hmm. were good enough. When I did a head porter, like maybe maximum was like twenty five employees. But still, it was really pressure for me. You know, I have to keep thinking about the salaries or I don't want to make a big company because mm-hmm. of it's a risk.
0: And um, When you say you want to make it your size, you mean you kind of want to see your yeah, whole company? Yeah, capacity. My capacity. Yeah. I want to work in my capacity. Yeah.
1: And my capacity is really
0: small. I see. I found. Well, everyone's capacity is actually really small because you're just one person. Yeah. And the way a corporation works is you add many people so mm-hmm. that your capacity is bigger. Right. Than I one see. man. Mm-hmm. But you want to just keep it your capacity. Yeah. I'm a solo, I think. So. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why and is... also,
1: I don't want to lend money or borrow money, or you know. I don't mm-hmm. want to get somebody else's money at all. Mm-hmm. I just want to do it with my money. So I don't, you know, I don't borrow any money at all. Mm-hmm. That's what our business does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Hiroshi is sort of known as a tastemaker for the finer things in life. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see him staying at the Aman Resort, or eating at a five-star restaurant that Michelin doesn't even know about, or wearing some six-figure Rolex that he just won at an auction. So I wanted to dive into how Fragment generates income, and also how he feels about retail in this day and age. After all, even though he says Fragment doesn't quote-unquote make anything, it does fall under his jurisdiction how the public is able to obtain his creations. And. Fragment as a as a design company like you said. Right? Yeah. Do you typically is it like normal design company like you charge a fee or you is it always percentage based? Mhm. Which one is it or both? Both. Okay. It depends on When did it start Fragment?
1: Ah, I can't remember. 15 years ago I think, 10 years, 15 years? Mm.
0: Yeah. And before oh. that it was good enough headquarter. Good enough.
1: Yeah, headquarter electric cottage. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Electric cottage was also kind of a big company? Yeah, n- no big company, okay. small, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about uh some of the other businesses that you did in the past. Mm-hmm. So like you did retail stores, right? Because good yeah. enough had a retail store.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. They didn't have any good
0: oh, head headquarters. Headquarters really. and
1: uh-huh. ready-made. Ready-made, so that's right.
0: ready yeah. How do you feel about retail business?
1: It's difficult mm-hmm. for me. Cause I always change the uh, you know, interior and everything. So it takes many times and takes money. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So it's. I think it's really hard hard business to do a little. For me, anyway. Even so, for you always, even with not counting because of e-commerce or the future, like not counting that, it was still hard for you. To for sell. me, for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: I cannot think about. I can't make a like strategy how to sell and that kind of thing so much. Mm-hmm. I need someone which may which means makes you know company bigger.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but recently you've done some really successful retail. So you did Parking Ginza, Pool Aoyama. Yeah. So those but are...
1: That is like I produced.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So but it's, I, it's I like don't... the fragment model. You have a... Yeah. Right. Exactly. I
1: don't have to do that kind of
0: situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you go about picking the right people to, to help you with this?
1: It's basically friend's basis. Mm-hmm. And if I know them, like... I know the president of June very well. So he June, asked me. June is a company. June's a company who did a pool of parking. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to do, you know, something. And then I was bringing some people who I really trust.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, parking was also in partnership with Sony a bit, right? Sony had a hand in that, didn't it?
1: Parking, the property was Sony.
0: Okay. Yeah. But nothing so, else. They just gave you the property? Yeah. Okay.
1: And they kind of agree me to make a product their own, like T
0: shirts, all that kind of things, which yeah. never happened. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get a like June is a huge company in Japan, right? Yeah. How do you get a huge company in Japan like June and a huge company in the world like Sony and you, which is just one man and two employees, <laughs> to work together to open this amazing space? How does that happen?
1: Well that's again like friend basis. I knew I knew him very well when he was working as a you know, the fashion business when he was like 20, 20 years old or something. June. June the president.
0: Okay, the president of yeah. June. Okay.
1: And Sony, I've been working for Sony not really working but knew them long time, making like cell phones and things. I was helping to making it. Mm-hmm. So the now he's a CEO of Sony, Sony. Some Sony has a big company, mm-hmm. but like Sony Building in uh, Ginza. Yeah, there's a one company, and he's a CEO of Sony Building. Mm-hmm. But he used to be
0: like you know, kind of my type people working yeah. together. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So it's really old friends. And when you have this idea, do you have to like present them with no, the vision of parking? Not at all?
1: No, I just go and talk.
0: <laughs> so it's just like over dinners and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very organic. Yeah.
1: I never make those kind of, you know, the, what, what do you call the, Strategy the, plan. Yeah.
0: You never made a PowerPoint? No. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how to use PowerPoint? Not really. The, what was
1: the other one? talked Yeah, Keynote. Yeah. I can make it because of I teach in uh, college. <laughs> so I make something a little bit. <laughs>
0: If you wanna work with most corporations, you have to put together some kind of a pitch. You have to take hours and hours of time and effort and put this pitch deck together, and that's just to start on the project, maybe. Hiroshi operates on a totally different scale. He just takes people out to dinner, and somehow it magically happens over these meals. And I don't know if that's because he's super charming or what, but he definitely doesn't operate under these same guidelines and rules. There's a book called The Secret, and if you say things and speak things into existence, they actually happen. And while I don't think Hiroshi has read the book, it's a powerful device, but I've seen him do this over and over and over again. Um, I think you told me once that the Sony Parking Project, Parking Ginza Project, kind of started when you were like on a radio show saying yeah. something. Can you tell that story?
1: Mm-hmm. That is when I was doing pool Aoyama, and I we are kind of deciding let's finish a pool, and then I was talking in a radio. I want to do uh, the concept of so called parking. There's one little Chinese restaurant in a Parking Ginza parking. It's a basement, like B three.
0: Okay, in so like a park- sub-level Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Okay.
1: In the parking, and you know, there's a little red light in the parking lot, mm-hmm. and it's a Chinese restaurant. I always like the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mysterious. Yeah. You know? So I wanted to do a parking, the store in the parking. Mm-hmm.
0: But and you had no idea where, which no, parking lot? You had no idea. No, no
1: idea. Okay. And then the Sony guys call me, and yeah, we have a perfect property for you. So <laughs> so it was he was actually list- he was listening, to, he the was radio listening show. to the radio show. Right. Yeah. And it was actually the Sony building was rebuilding. Mm -hmm. So he knew the plan. So I can only use like two years, Uh which, you know, they
0: can kind of give me a good price. Right. The park in Ginza was an amazing retail space. It covered two floors of a subterranean garage in the Sony headquarters building in Ginza, of course. One level was a remix of a Japanese classic Kisaten, which is basically like a Japanese old school cafe. And it was called Cafe de Rope. He sourced the greatest toasts from all over the world. Yes, toast. He even got a high-end toaster oven company, Balmuda, to sponsor the entire cafe, which is genius. All the cups and saucers had little fragment logos engraved into them, and I'm sure people were trying to steal them. I remember one time I was there having some toast with him and he looked around and said, I don't like the lighting here anymore. I went back a few days later on the same trip and voila, all the lighting had magically changed. Next to the cafe was a Bonjour Records, which is one of the best music shops in Tokyo curating select vinyl records. And downstairs was the main retail space, which featured the world's most coveted brands. This included a Double Taps tent, a vanquished denim store, a ski gondola housing Burton's latest drops, a Retoff fragrance section, which is a cosmetic brand that Hiroshi also owns, and of course, a full-on Nike shop. And the Nike shop was outfitted with Nike products that Hiroshi had designed. And finally, there was the Parking Gins of Merch Store, which was a place that you could let all your friends back home know that you had paid homage to the Mecca of retail. You also did a lot in magazine. And magazine is like a very broad term, right? Because magazine, you started your career Mm -hmm. like in print magazine. And then you did Honeycomb, which mm-hmm. is a, one of the first digital blog magazines. Mm-hmm. And now you have Ring of Color, which is another sort of magazine, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us your experiences in working with magazines. Working with magazine at the early 80s,
1: that was not like now. The magazines are the only media you can have. Mm-hmm. Like TV is kind of way too much. And magazine was a like subculture symbol, isn't it? To yeah. have uh, your own... Pages yeah. or something in uh, magazines. Right. So that's what I did. I was kind of introducing what's happening in the overseas. Like I've been traveling London, New York. So not many people can see what's really happening in London, New York. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of introducing, you know, those new things. Was it a job? Mm, yeah, I can say. A little money. I can make a little money. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like was your travel like paid for? I, uh, not really. <laughs> but they can cover maybe even
0: 50-50. Okay. Yeah. But you did it anyway, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't a lot of money. No. Cause Why I, did you do it anyway?
1: I like it. I like to see. I like to travel. I like mm-hmm. to see many things. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, knowledge of those things. So oh. I want to kind of, you know, tell people yeah. what I'm doing or
0: what is going on. Right. And I guess the intangible effect that happened from that is by doing that a lot. Yeah, I think You so. became like an expert. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because the... I didn't really do if someone asked me to introduce, which I don't like, you know what I mean? Like some shoe company comes, yeah, Hiroshi, please, can you show this on the page? And then I said, no, I don't like this, you know? So I didn't do that kind of thing, even they paid. Yeah. So I think audience kind of trusts me
0: what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So naturally you became like an editor.
1: Yeah. Because
0: someone would give you something, please write, you would say, no, no. thank you. Mm -hmm. So you're editing out. Yeah. Yeah. Selecting. And then, how about when print magazines started to decline in business and the rise of digital and blogs started to happen? Mm-hmm. You started Honeycomb. Yeah. Did you see that? Like, I didn't. I couldn't really see the print magazines going down so much. Well, then why did you want to start Honeycomb?
1: Well, Honeycomb is not the first one. You know, maybe oh, really? yeah. I mean, it may be no, the that, first one for the blog. Yeah. But like, Hypebeast, and those kind of already there. Yeah. And many digital media were. Thing was there.
0: Yeah, but I think I feel like the way Honeycomb did it, yeah. with like a, a panel of experts mm-hmm. and a regular blog, was really unique. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But why? So why did you even feel like you wanted to start a digital blog?
1: Me and Kiyonaga and Hiroki from Visvim.
0: Okay. So, so us, Kiyonaga owns Sof. Soft, yeah, and
1: Hiroki from Visvim, yeah, and me. Like Suriowas was, you know, sitting having coffee a cup of tea and then talking. Hey, shall we do the digital media or digital things? Because we never done. Mm. And we are kind of looking, I mean, we are following those things. Yeah. Now maybe it's time to do it. Is it, you know, too late or too early, the oh. kind of conversation, and we start. And I, I was an editor, well, I am an editor, kind of, you know, and I can write. Mm. So I said the blog was kind of popular, getting popular, but there's no picture on the blog. Used to be broke is just like writing, writing yeah. yeah. So I travel, and we have all digital cameras. Mm-hmm. So why don't we put up nice pictures mm-hmm. with
0: a, you know, talking yeah.
1: broke? So that's what's happened.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then what did kionaga and Hiroki do? They did a broke also. Oh, they wrote yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were all editors basically, yeah. and you all just threw in money and did it. Mm-hmm. So self finance in the yeah. beginning. Okay. Three or four or five. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Of, can you talk a little bit more about? Self-financing and the risk behind that—I don't think there's many risk. You're just losing a little bit money. Uh-huh. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've—I've talked to other people about this interview who like just started a magazine or started a mm-hmm. you know mixtape or something like that. And yeah. I think a lot of young people might be—they want to do it, but they're scared to lose the money. What do you say to those people?
1: It's much better than you using somebody else's money and lose it. Really? (laughs) That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Even the bank. I mean, I'm kind of scared. Maybe I'm old school. Mm -hmm. If you borrow money from bank and it's you fail, maybe you lose more things.
0: Yeah, I think. Right. So you'd rather just spend
1: your own money. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or kind of good friend or good people who can trust. You know what I mean? Like kind. Loan you money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe it's better than I think get money from the bank or, bank or yeah, the investors. Yeah, because
0: if you lose that, you're in legal trouble, mm-hmm. right? I talk to many people about finding the finances to fund their dream. And there's two varying camps here. One is quite popular in America in the Western world, and it's known as OPM. And it stands for other people's money. They say, always use other people's money when you can. Why risk your own, right? Well, Hiroshi definitely sits on the other side of this fence. It might be something intrinsically Japanese, I'm not sure. But his thing is, why risk your credit and your reputation? And more importantly, your freedom? It's a question that every entrepreneur must answer at some point. Okay, let's move to fashion. Yeah. Did you, so what were the fashion brands that you did yourself?
1: Good enough? Uh-huh. <laughs> Just myself, I don't know. What was it? I think so. The electric quotation is yeah. maybe, and I think that's all. No head hmm
0: mm-hmm. What do you think about going into the fashion business? If someone asks you for, should I go? Should I start a fashion brand? What do you think?
1: Oh, the young kids, kind yeah. of. I think it's a difficult time to do a fashion brand mm-hmm. because it's everyone's doing it. <laughs> yeah.
0: What do you think it is? Why why fashion is like something that people can't stop doing, even though it's such a tough business, even though we have. H and M and Zara and Forever Twenty One, you know, but for some reason, people still feel like I want to make my own fashion. Mm. Why?
1: I think people know wear what he wants to, and if there's a good the fashion brand you can trust, you can wear it. Or it's inspired to make you something. Mm -hmm. I think it's happened to us too. For me and skate, I start good enough with me and the skate things.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Skate thing from Bathing Ape was part of Good Enough? Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: So he came to me, hey, Hiroshi, let's make a t-shirt, you know, because like Stussy or like Punk's movement, they all have a printing t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he asked me to come, let's make a t-shirt. And yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And it's the good Enough starting. Okay. So now maybe the kids think same things like, hey, Staple makes, you know, printing t-shirts. The T-shirts, maybe we can do it. I, I don't think we can make a sneakers, we can make a, you know, trousers, but maybe T-shirts, we can do it. Yeah. So let's do it. Right. That kind of little organic way, which you can start.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of low entry to start mm-hmm. a T-shirt. Yeah. I like how recently you did it, like you made T-shirts with Sakai, mm-hmm. which is, but it, it was like a bootleg T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like you were getting back to like the skate boots, right?
1: <laughs> kind of. I think... There's a space, I mean, the room for the Sakai, which she doesn't do. Mm-hmm. You know, she never do, like, printing t-shirts right. with Sakai on print. So I asked her, I want to make a t-shirt with a Sakai on it. And then, yeah, you can make it. And I didn't make, like, 20 t-shirts with an uh, American apparel brand, like, yeah. just printing, you know, yeah. boot rack, really, real boot rack. Mm-hmm. And I gave a few for her, and she said, oh, Hiroshi, can you make this for the actual Sakai? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it, it started as twenty. Yeah, started like ten or twenty. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And it was really
0: bootleg, right? You know. But now it's like a now really it's like official bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awesome. This story of how Hiroshi started to collaborate with Chitos Abe-san and her brand Sakai is indicative of how he likes to work. He's direct, honest, and intimate. He's a master at deciding who is the right partner when is the right time and how to execute it but at the same time he doesn't let his ego get in the way by definition the word collaboration involves two or more parties and hiroshi seems to intuitively know when it is his turn and when it is their turn all right i want to move into collaboration Mm -hmm. which You've done a lot of collaborations with really big companies like Mm -hmm. you mentioned Sony and Mm -hmm. there's Starbucks and Burton and Levi's and Nike, obviously. Mm -hmm. When you walk into a meeting with these executive, really corporate people. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned that it starts off usually over a cup of tea and you have a conversation. Mm -hmm. But eventually you have to go to the headquarters and have the like boardroom kind of meeting, right? Don't you? No, really, no. (laughs) You never do? (laughs) No. But with a big, you know, many one. Yeah. Know. No, you always want to keep it small. Mm-hmm. Okay, but how do you get thing? How do you get your vision done if you don't involve everybody?
1: Isn't it the, anyway? The making product is small team. Yeah, I think maybe you have to have agreement with those kind of executive. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but I never really did it.
0: Really? Mm. You do you ever feel like you have to? Um, Defend yourself and your ideas to these corporations?
1: No, no, no. I don't. I'm I'm really easy. And then if I make one thing to the big companies, it's theirs. Uh-huh. I don't I don't own any copyright or anything, mm-hmm. so they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Some designers kind of upset. Yeah, if they did one, you know, if they did make one style, mm-hmm. and then company kind of rip off their style and do <laughs> keep doing it. Yeah, someone kind of I understand designers upset. But I don't care. I thought, I think that is my thing. You know, I'm bringing in first time, I mean, the beginning. Yeah. And then they can sell more and more.
0: Right. That's the benefit for the company. Yeah. Right. So you don't care if they keep doing it. No. Okay. But do you ever have like, uh, corporations have a reputation for kind of taking advantage of, you know, individual designers and creatives, right? Mm -hmm. So do you ever run into a situation where you feel like maybe you're being taken advantage of and if you do, what do you do about that?
1: Well I I don't really feel it already. No. No. So I I think that is a job I do. Like Nike, you yeah. know, I pick up some shoes, pick up some sneakers, like mm-hmm. which no one really touched it. Mm-hmm. Like court Force or maybe sock art. And then I kind of made it. And then after you know after that. Anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. Any company can do it. Like Nike can do their own thing. I don't even know which color they're doing. I see. Only the first one, first model I did. Uh And then the other one, I don't.
0: So you're almost uh, like a prototype designer. I think so. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you work with a big company, right? How about the, do you do the negotiation yourself or somebody else in your company does it?
1: Somebody else, Mm -hmm. but we don't really have so much negotiation. Maybe it's a big company. Have, uh, like, legal issues, like copyright or, like, you know, the trademark yeah. things. But, yeah, I don't do it. I have uh, a lawyer, kind of, to
0: mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no negotiation, meaning you say what you want and then that's it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's and great. They never say, like, so let's say you say, oh, I want to do this for, uh I'd like to get paid a $100. They never come back and say, like, oh, can we do it for $70? Yeah, that is my lawyer does, I think. Okay. Yeah. I see, Mm -hmm. and then you. I don't.
1: I don't negotiate about money. I
0: see. Why do you want to separate your negotiation to somebody else?
1: Because I don't even know how much I have. To be honest, I don't have a bank check. Things Mm -hmm. my you know the other guy keeps it, so I haven't seen the account or how much I have twenty or thirty years.
0: In in twenty or thirty years, you haven't seen how much money you have. (laughs) <laughs>
1: i don't even know what property i have you don't even know
0: what properties
1: you have no. but you know you have property i have a property maybe a few my house uh-huh. and the kind of things but i don't know how much well i don't i don't really know nothing
0: is a part of you scared to see how much you have what i mean oh uh, no are you scared to no, see it i just
1: don't have to maybe maybe i'm scared to see but i don't need to i guess
0: yeah, not. I mean, scared in a way, like maybe if you saw it all, yeah. you'd be like, holy shit, this mm-hmm. is a lot. One time, I accidentally saw the
1: tax paper I have to pay. Yeah. That was scared. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, holy, how can I keep
0: paying this yeah. tax?
1: Yeah. So since then, I never opened the envelope. <laughs> you don't,
0: yeah, don't so want to accidentally not. see it ever again. <laughs> wow. So you, So, okay, let's talk about the person or people. That you trust to do this Because mm-hmm. obviously there's a relationship there yeah. Where you fully trust them mm-hmm. And you know in America You always hear these stories of like celebrities Who trusted their accountant too much And then they go to jail because they didn't pay the tax <laughs> You know like there's all yeah. these stories Like Martha Stewart, TLC mm-hmm. You know, So you obviously have a really trusting relationship With this person or people yeah. How did you develop How did you meet these people? How did you trust them?
1: That was when I started Good Enough Oh know. so it's there's like a, over yeah. 20 years now mm-hmm. 20 I start good enough like nineteen eighty eight, mm-hmm. so it's almost like thirty years. Yeah, right?
0: same team, same people. Yeah, is it a team people. or a person? Just one person, person. I think. Okay, just one person. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So, and he was already known so the business, uh-huh. so he helps to do a good enough. Okay, and then. Well, Guto has really nothing just one t-shirt starting with a one or two t-shirts yeah and then kind of grow and not only good enough and the headboard or everything mm-hmm. that's why you know behind the him is he is always behind yeah the business going do
0: you, you're a creative obviously do you think it's better that creatives don't touch the money
1: hmm. it really depends some people love making money as a creation too mm. yeah like in the 90s I I think making money is actually trend.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, like Wolf like, of Wall Street.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, maybe more like our age. Maybe you, you wanted to make a T-shirt, you wanted do creative work. Mm-hmm. So money is kind of second, you know, second yeah. things. But in the nineties, people want like, to make money. I want to make money. I want to be a rich. What can I do? Maybe be a DJ. Maybe right. making a T-shirt. Maybe making a brand. Yeah. to make a money.
0: Right. First was how do I make yeah, money? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That so was. In the 90s, I think.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. So your whole thing first was, I just want to make stuff. Yeah. So you always had somebody else thinking about the money. hmm Right. So do you even know, like you obviously don't know, you said you don't know how much money you have, but do you even know how much you have to spend? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to what?
0: Like, do you have a paid Do you have a payroll? Are you like paid? Do you get a paycheck? No, really. No. So does anyone ever call you and like your, your accounting guy, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, Hiroshi, you kind of spent too much money this month.
1: <laughs> no, no one, no one asked me.
0: <laughs> no one ever says no. that to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you should try for that. <laughs> you should try to spend so much that someone yells I at you. I always ask. Oh, you, know, you if ask I, somebody yeah, if first. Yeah, I want to buy a
1: big single, maybe buy a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always ask. Is that, you know, how you have for this car and the kind of things? And
0: then they always say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. I wanna know what you asked for and they said mm, maybe not good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that. No, you I guess I know my capacity. I see. You've yeah, never asked for exactly. something and they were like no. you're crazy.
1: I think that's when I, I was young too. Mm-hmm. I never ever thought I wanna drive a Mercedes uh-huh. because I was enjoying doing myself. Mm-hmm. So maybe a friend of mine was making money and then, you know, buying big cars yeah. or that kind of things. But I never envy it. Uh-huh. I never thought, you know. Yeah, like I'm always enjoying in my capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: When you came from a a small town, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you come from like money, or you came from middle class, or what was it like growing up for you?
1: Oh, uh, just just a regular family.
0: Yeah, not yeah. super rich. No, not at all. Yeah. Do you think um, growing up? You know, some people talk about when you grow up in a rich family. Mm-hmm. There's pros and cons, right? Right, yeah. Pro is obviously you have money that you can play with. Con mm-hmm. is, do you value money? Right. Do you think you have a, a value for money? Like you appreciate how hard it is to get it? No. You don't? No. Why no. not?
1: <laughs> because I had enough money for my capacity.
0: Yeah, simple yeah. life. Simple, simple life, yeah. yeah.
1: So if you say give me, you know, $100 for a week, I can leave. Even today? Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, that yeah. Kind of things. I think so, so too, yeah. Um. I remember, like, there's a there's a good story where, you know, Elon Musk, the Tesla guy, he mm-hmm. said, I, I calculated once that if I just got $80, I can live off ramen and, yeah. like, you know, sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. So, as long as I make anything over $80, it's, like, a bonus. Uh-huh. And that's how he still lives his life today, he said. Right. Yeah.
1: Maybe I'm not that,
0: you know. You're not that.
1: I, I enjoy $1,000 too.
0: Okay, not I, $80. I enjoy $100 <laughs> also. Right. So, Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And then... Last bit, like, if there's a young person, and a lot of people look up to you, right, what are some bits of advice that you give to young people that want to be the next Hiroshi Fujiwara?
1: <laughs> it's nothing next to me because of the time is different, mm-hmm. you know, the starting time. I, was, I think I was lucky starting in the 80s because the fashion is growing, mm-hmm. and the street fashion is just beginning. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I feel really lucky to be in the scene. So now, maybe some technology or whatever, it must be something which I don't know, which you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know some young, something for which only young kids can know. Yeah, yeah. They should find the area.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's like an opportunity, right? Like mm-hmm. when you were young, you saw opportunity yeah. in fashion. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a new opportunity now. I think so. Right.
1: Maybe even in the fashion, maybe there's some new opportunity. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. When is the last thing... That you saw that was new, and you were like, "Wow, this is like a new wave."
1: It's not really new and new, but like I like yeah. a cold wall because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not which I want to wear. Uh-huh. But I think that's different.
0: You sense some newness about it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like how he incorporates architecture and structure. Yeah, into something his interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So it's good that people are still doing new things in fashion. Mm
1: -hmm. I, I like to know what's going on,
0: even I don't wear it. Right. If you're into shoes in really any capacity, you probably understand the concept of reselling. Highly coveted shoes are gobbled up, resellers mark them up based on market demand, and the end user pays the price. While these resellers used to be sneaker fans like you and I, this little cottage industry has now ballooned into a multi billion dollar behemoth. It even has its own stock market now. Just check out StockX.com. And as a creator of these items, I wanted to get Hiroshi's take on it. You're really interested in reselling.
1: Yeah. You're people who mix video from reselling. reselling things, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, so basically you can't really stop right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So. No, and I remember the days when like Nike and stuff like really hated resellers, mm-hmm. right? But now you can't beat them; you have to join them. It is crazy yeah. because these people make so much money, but they don't that make must. anything.
1: Yeah, like us, when I start, like good enough and things. Those t-shirts became really expensive, mm-hmm. like ten times expensive. So, you know, I make like thirty dollars and. Decelling is $300, $300 yeah. right? And then... So
0: you make 30 but the yeah, other kid makes other 300 Other kid make like
1: 10 times more yeah. money, right? And then... But in fact, people think I'm making the money.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: they don't really know what's the situation, what's yeah. going on. So people will be oh, Hiroshi is making T-shirts at $300. Yeah. That's what people think. Yeah. So it's not really true.
0: Yeah, of course. Right? And so... In fact, did it make you mad? A little bit. It must yeah. have a little bit mad, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Maybe we have a good talk. Next one
0: was yeah, next <laughs> one yeah. But I think no, I think it's interesting now that it's kind of become a thing where you just have to accept it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Reselling it almost tells you or Nike or me that you're doing such a good job mm. at your job that there is a resale value. So on the one hand, you get mad that like oh this kid is does nothing. He literally just bought it and is reselling. Is making hundreds more than me. Yeah, but it's he's also saying to you. You're so good at what you do, mm-hmm. right?
1: <laughs> it's really tr- the That is maybe better than the people who doesn't care about the fashion and buying things to, for making money.
0: Yeah. I saw that happening too. For sure. Yeah. A lot.
1: So I don't like it that way. Yeah. If like people like us, we really like Nike shoes, so I want to buy one for me, mm-hmm. but why don't I buy 10 yeah. and selling it, right. and making money?
0: It's a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah but it's definitely better than nobody wants to buy your stuff because there's no resale value. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Mm. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's weird. I used to I used to hate it too and I had the same problem where people think like my pigeon dunk is worth 8,000. So, Jeff, you must be super rich because you made this shoe. Yeah. Meanwhile, I only have one pair <laughs> and <laughs> I only made, you know, $100 on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like Everyone else is making the money, not me. Right. But it's like this perception that because you made this, you must have a lot of money from it. You know? Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> Any other advice?
1: No, but this show is really interesting. So we should keep doing it. Maybe we can talk about
0: more like business. Great. Thanks for listening to our first episode. You can find out more about the show or listen to future episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us wherever you listen. I personally use Overcast. And you could reach out to me on Twitter at Jeff Staple. Check us out on the web at businessofhype.com. And you can email any questions you might have to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is directed by Daniel Navetta. It's edited and produced by Bright Young Things. You could check them out at byt.nyc. Engineered by Andre Zakow and Vincent Staropoli. This was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location in Dubai at Seoul DXB. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.